arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. I quickly surmised when I was describing the city on Scabia Tangle that I was contemplating the sounds of war from Beirut, Lebanon. In this episode, Commander Ross comes face to face with the Cyvac Saul. Ross does finally find his family and has to deal with his father. The strain between them is extraordinary. And the threat of being changed into a Cyvac hangs over Lindy and his family as Ross and his father are forced on the run. Let's step into this war-torn planet and the intense pressure from all angles on Commander John Ross. Episode 2 of Reunion, Galactic Command, starts now. Chapter 9 His ribs were bruised badly and his right eye was swollen closed. He opened his good eye. Dozens of men mulled around a wide, straw-brick confinement area, boarded on three sides by iron bars. For at least 15 minutes he remained motionless. No one seemed to care that he lay in pain or if he lived or died. Lindy was not within the prison population. Ross pulled himself up along the moist concrete. The biting air occasionally blew through the bars and dug into the abrasions across his face. All these prisoners were dressed in ripped, soiled clothing. You've been through the beater, said an older bearded man to his right. Ross studied his translucent blue eyes and wrinkled face. Where am I? Are we near the main city? Oh, you've got the good ones, said the man, pinching his fatigued fabric. Zulof, they left you with this? Does not matter now that we're about to be revacked. Revacked? Ross touched his swollen eye. The man squinted. Why ask such a question? Where the hell am I? asked Ross as he again panned the concrete-lined cell for Lindy. Does it matter? You are about to lose your identity, so why do you care where you are? Tell me about this revac. Revac? Changed forever. The old man shook his head and retreated across the debris and the fallen men. I thought this was an Elias sect planet. You know, peace and the awaiting of this Elias character. A younger man with a few days beard growth stepped from the front bars. His yellow fatigues were only slightly stained and his hair cut shorter. He studied Ross as if he knew something about him. 
Eliasek planet. You're not from this planet. His eye throbbed when he smiled. Did uh, Saul bring you here, or were you just unlucky enough to come to this paradise? I'll reserve comment on that, said Ross, not trusting him fully. I understand. And your reference to this being an Eliasect planet? Yes, this was an Eliasect planet until he arrived. Saul? Yes, Saul. He extended his hand. I am Devon. We might as well enjoy our last few hours of human emotions together. Ross gripped his hand. I'm John Ross. This, this Revac, they strip away human emotions? Come over here, said Devon, taking his arm. He led Ross to the outside bars. An occasional gasoline-powered vehicle putted along the brick buildings. Elias Sect used to mean one thing. Now it means what Saul says it means. Saul. Saul was smart, he was. Don't change the names or the system. Change the ideas and the meaning. I was of the mining people. We lived among the sect members. But he wished to eliminate the Elias sect. They believed and still believe that peace overcomes. So their Elias says. Not in this case. Who's firing those rockets? Bands of renegades. Those who follow Silkowski. Composed of miners and their descendants. Surely not Elias people. I know that name. Ross snapped his fingers. Victor Silkowski was a Galactic Command Polonis scientist. He worked with ship's artificial intelligence. I met him once at a lecture before the war. Years ago. What's he doing here? He and Saul were the ones. They brought the domain here to Scavia Tangle. The blue-green ocean was visible beyond the seawall, and dusted snow-capped mountains were silhouetted against an orange glow, and shadows blanketed the bay. He figured he was near the hotel craft and the landing strip, but he was worried about Lindy. As with his family, he had to face the possibility that Lindy was dead. Did I, John Ross, my father, pass through here? No one answered, and Ross's face tightened like dried leather. How do I speak to this Saul? Devin shook his head. I don't believe it'll be possible for you, my friend. Bombs this afternoon. Maybe the Zulof found the site. Zulof, the soldiers? Correct. If I could run to the heartland and fight with Tsiolkovsky, I would. Try and attack Saul with the renegades, but there's no stopping the revac. Look at the roundup today. Our numbers are dwindling. We'll all be Cyvacular beings. Cyvacs don't feel. Cyvacs have no sense of where they are in the universe. Cyvacs just exist forever, it said. Cyvac. A term from the Polonis experiments on Pegasus Marichelli. I read summaries of the attempts to install the Polonis intelligence into an android being, the Cyvac. Hence, Silkowski. But not humans. Is that why those Zulof were speaking in disjointed sentences? When humans are revac, they're no longer human. They become cyvacs with a greater endurance, greater memory. Tears welled in his eyes. The intermixing of high-speed electronic pathways with nerve endings, veins, and arteries are brains laced with man-made systems at the genetic level. You don't die, Ross, but why would you want to live? Silkowski and Saul have taken the original habits of this planet and the Elias and revac them into Cybacks. 
Correct? asked Ross. The Elias sect was at peace with the world. Saul and Silkowski arrived from space. Silkowski seduced us all. What do you mean he seduced you? asked Ross, tightening his inflated brow. Oh, at first he was a novelty. Back eleven galactic years. We believed that he could help us find better ways to grow our food, more efficient ways to produce goods for all our people. That is what he promised, and that is what he did. Then they looked at him as the Messiah, according to their belief. We thought him a great leader. Food was in more abundance than ever, and they built factories on the mainland. When I was a boy, there were only a few plants here in Saskow. Now, it's called the City of Saul. But it was Saul who built up the security force, Zulof. He revacked us all slowly. Saul was the desolus, the destroyer. Ah, now this is making a little bit more sense. Where is Silkowski now? In the city, mostly. Sometimes in the south. He goes to the south only after the roundups, said Devin. But the days are numbered for the renegades left and those in the heartland. You mean the Elias sect? Yes, they do not fight. They remain on the run. That's ridiculous. You don't understand, John Ross. Saul controls the air. Saul controls the sea. Saul controls the planet. Yeah, well, I'm beginning to wonder just what else Saul wants to control, he said, grabbing the steel bars. He has advances here that he shouldn't have. Others are here. What others? Some say Revax. Some say space travelers. What do they look like? Devin shook his head. No one knows. I see, said Ross, glancing at the bars. How do we get out of here? Ross, you don't get out of here. We are doomed for the Revac. We're all doomed to be Cyvax. No, I can't accept that, said Ross, looking back. No other entry or exit? Then we should just refuse. Devon smiled. You refuse and they kill you. Many Elias sect die that way, accepting fate. The Elias sect believes that being one with the world means acceptance of one's circumstances, acceptance and avoidance of the negative energies. We can live within any circumstances with the knowledge of peace. So says their Elias. Sounds like a death sentence to me. A huge gasoline-powered truck with a yellow and orange sun splattered across its door beeped as it backed up toward the containment cell and the exhaust from the loud, inefficient engine spewed into the cell. Ross counted three dozen green-uniformed Zulov. Their blank expressions revealed the humanless Cyvac existence. See their eyes, said Devon. You said your people are in the heartland, said Ross. The sunlight burst through the heavy, dark clouds above the mountains, projecting a crisp swath between the old buildings and streets to the seawall. There are clusters of resistance in Saul City, but they're on the move, always hiding and subsisting on what they can find. When they do find weapons, they use them. Fruitless, all fruitless. There are those who have retreated to the heartland. Fruitless. No, not fruitless, Devon. Heroic, said Ross as he moved toward the center, shielding himself with the prisoners. He thought about escaping as gun barrels glistened in the vivid vermilion light. 
Several Zulof approached the cell doors and unlocked the thick, rusted bars. Other Zulofs pushed and prodded and physically lifted people from the cell and back to the transport vehicle. Around the truck's edge, Lindy, still in his blue Earth Star fatigues, was led by two Zulof. Ross pushed his way to the metal bars. Lindy! Lindy! Lindy slowly turned toward the cell and caught sight of Ross hanging on the bars. He produced a vacant stare. Were Lindy's human attributes that Ross knew so well now revacked away? He was obedient, directed, thoughtless, and serious. Lindy, do you know what they've done to you? Yes, John. No, I do. Oh, God. Where do they do this? Is my family all right? Questions I cannot answer, he said without using a facial muscle. Obey the directive we do. Directive? What directive? Ross's eyes filled. The Zuloff shoved him, but as he turned abruptly, the long metal rifle barrel swung in unison toward his head. This time he ducked. Lindy marched away. Bring back an implement. Lindy! Under the guns, Ross was forced into the truck bed and wedged between the shivering prisoners. Some protested but took places beside him. He watched Lindy disappear around the corner as the vehicle's loud petroleum-based engine cranked. The truck shook and then rumbled away from the concrete building's jagged edges. Cool air whizzed against his exposed skin along the bumpy street. Ahead, the airfield stretched to the steely bay, surrounded by the frosted mountains. Where is Saul? he asked Devin. You'll understand what they expect of you once the revac has taken place. You will not have the worries you have had all your human life. I suppose that is good. I like my human worries. His eye throbbed in pain as he leaned against the wood slats. The truck now bounded onto a smoother ocean road. Waves splashed over a barrier wall below, and the deep green waters were choppy with whitecaps to the pale green horizon beyond. He stared at the continuous breakers, and he wondered how a Polonus experiment had allowed such a half-human madman to escape. As the truck turned back toward the city, black smoke rose in a narrow column from a distant building. The resistance to Saul was evident with more thunder. Would the resistance fight end, and how many of them were left? They moved up to a yellow grass-clumped hill within the city. The truck shifted near a towering brick smokestack and adjacent bombed-out buildings. Armed Zulof sentries waved them through a barbed wire gate. More Zulof were inside, crawling like insects. Several of the Zulof, on a loading dock ahead, directed the driver toward the cracked concrete platform. The truck gently nudged the platform edge, and Ross turned to Devon. I'm not going to merrily skip into this revac place. You go in or you will be killed, said Devon. More Zulof pointed their weapons. Ross was forcefully unloaded with the other prisoners and pushed up the dock stairs. For a few minutes he stood briefly in the freezing air, and then they marched him into a dirty, poorly lit room with high metal girder ceilings. A gas-powered heater above swept a scintilla of warm air downward. None of the Zulofs seemed to be affected by the change or the cold outside. Flickering fluorescent bulbs lit a mustard-tiled corridor and a cracked concrete floor. They sent the group up a narrow stairwell, cut by sunlight piercing through the thick outside translucent windows. Three steel-lined doors were open up top. A narrow corridor led to a larger but cooler area about 50 meters ahead. This obviously had been some kind of manufacturing plant. All the while, they looked for an opportunity to escape. 
With more Zuloff in the voluminous room ahead, he knew his options were becoming increasingly limited. The old equipment's green paint was peeling in curled strips, exposing the galvanized metal. To his right, men and women stood in a line, leading to a newer, white-pocketed translucent dome within the orange spider-leg support. A group of Zuloffs stood in front of the console panel to the side. A thin, haggard prisoner in a faded blue jumpsuit was marched inside. Only seconds later, a bright orange light flashed, accompanied by a sizzling electrical crack. The guy emerged in a slower gait and had a dumbfounded expression. Damn it, this isn't right. You can't just make human beings into these, these... Cyvacular beings? A combination of human tissue upgraded with Polonus energized cells? I understand the connotation, said Ross, gritting his teeth as they brought him in line. Five seconds and it's all over. Ross noted a container glowing within a blue Caleb's aria behind the dome. The aria. Ah, that's how they get their power for the combined tug drags. Devin, are there Antarians down here? There were occasional arrivals during the war. Two Zuloff pushed people forward. It seemed automatic, even with the Zuloff at the console. Ross was suddenly cognizant. As the line moved up, his life as he knew it was about to end. Death was preferable to losing his human nature. As they brought the woman ahead of him to the dome, he used his defensive skills, flipped backward and dove from the line. The Zuloff were baffled as he sprinted toward the old machinery. He scrambled up the metal edges. No shots were fired, but dozens of Zuloffs converged on him and someone caught his heels before he reached the top. They dragged him back as he continued to struggle and pulled him to the dome entrance. You're stripping away humanity, he screamed as they hauled his body into the dome. To his right, Saul fired his weapon into the upper dome. Stop, you will. Ross reports to Saul, he will. Why? asked Ross in front of the revac entrance. Work with Saul, you will. Chapter 10 Ross was even more enraged when he saw Saul less than 50 meters away at the end of a long line of armed Zuloff. He was a short, tanned individual in gray army fatigues and a sun insignia on his matching visor cap. The right side of his head was fleshy, just under the cap and above the ear. Behind a transparent coating was a gaping area of exposed brain matter interwoven with a pattern of minute red pinpoints. As he got closer, Ross looked directly into Saul's brown eyes. The right eye was elongated and laced with the same red pinpoints. He smoked what looked like a wrapped piece of tobacco and had the same low-pitched, garbled voice from the frequency transmission. Not harm you, I have been ordered. Where's my family, Saul? asked Ross, clenching his fists. In the domain they are. A slow smirk covered his ruddy face. Transformed. What? I'll kill you! Zuloff held him back as he screamed at Saul, but the Cybac half grinned. Help me, you will, he said, his voice resonating as if it were on a bad frequency channel. Help, Ross. Help us, you will. You want me to help you? Ross stared at the exposed brain area, but it didn't seem to bother Saul. You hijack my brother's vessel and revac my family, then you bring me here, transform my second-in-command into one of your half-humans? Your tongue, you watch. His leather face tightened. Help our operation forward, you will. Where's my family? Help us, you will. Who is us? You have collaborators. Spoken too much, I have. I will do nothing to help you nor anyone else. If I get loose, I'll personally choke you to death for what you did to my family. 
And what the hell have you done to this planet? This was a quiet, Elias sect-oriented society and a mining planet. My problem is not, he said, biting down on his cigar. On your radio, Galactic Command, you will call. Out here, get vessels. I'm not doing anything of the sort, said Ross, looking around. He grit his teeth. Again, where is my family? A place that be secure, answered Saul. To the vessel you will be brought. Secure they are. Why is it I don't believe you? I want to see my family. Very good, very good. Explorership commanders I have admired. Yes, a different breed. Help me, you will. What I want is my family unrevacked and sent back to Earthstar. Your father send ship, he would, like you. Then you have my father, too. I'm not calling command, nor will ships be sent out here for you to hijack. I can see what you're planning, but who are you working with? See, I do, said Saul, nodding his head. What are you doing with big chunks of Caleb's Aurea? Your concern is not. Really? ESS-27 had the Aurea. You're dealing with Rayfac, the Antarian, aren't you? Your questions I will not answer. The hell is going on here? Polonist experiments gone wild? What are you, some half-man, some half-Cybac? I am what I am, he replied, looking over to one of the guards. From the containment cells, bring Commander Ross's family. I am what I am. Saw motion more Zuloff around him. A few minutes later, Cappy, stuffed in green military fatigue, stepped into the room. Metal handcuffs ringed his wrists. Cappy, cried out Ross next to the Zuloff. Johnny, said his brother as he was shoved through an open paneled metal door. He told us he brought in your vessel. Well, he's a liar is what he is. He said you were revacked. Behind Cappy, Deborah brushed her brown hair off her forehead and sobbed when she saw Ross. Wayne followed Deborah through the doorway. Don't trust him, John. Well, I already found that out. Seeing his gray-haired mother clad in a Zuloff uniform made Ross crazy. He leaped against the Zuloff, knocked two of them down, but they cracked their rifles into his shoulders and head. They wrestled metal cuffs so hard and cut into his wrists before the cuffs clicked into place. Mother! She called out his name as she was brought around the corner. Johnny! Ross was stunned when his father walked rigidly into the room. The old man's gray hair was trimmed neatly. He was certain his father was responsible for this debacle and locked into his father's gray eyes before he too went behind the metal door. You're a damn compulsive liar, cried Ross. Believe me now, believe me now, said Saul. Believe me when I tell you I will kill you. Release you will. The handcuffs from Commander Ross release you will. The Zuloff removed a tiny key and inserted it in the lock. His wrists were ripped to the flesh. Saul put a pistol to his head and he was marched to the edge of a metal door. I thought they were revacked. You have no credibility, Saul. Too soon I spoke. Time with him you will spend, Ross. Ross stared at Saul, followed by his personal guards as he left the room. Is the Antarian on this planet? When Saul disappeared, Ross turned and opened the metal door. His family stood next to pane windows overlooking more brick buildings. Ross first embraced his mother. Mother, are you all right? Yes, John. They've done nothing to hurt us. But his sister thrust her arms around him as she cried. He's inhuman. He's inhuman. She still clung to Ross as he shook hands with Wayne and Cappy. Johnny, 
said Cappy as Deborah stepped back. He tug-dragged us on our star approach. Not exactly the reunion we were hoping for, was it? No, Cap, it isn't. I thought we'd be relaxing on some beach by now. His father gazed out the window. What the hell is going on? Cappy looked at the old man across the room. I'm not sure. I think the Antarians were involved. Well, that wouldn't surprise me, but if it's true, we're in great danger and so is command, answered Ross. That goon has taken over this planet, said Wayne. He had the old man's penetrating eyes and short nose. He has the power to merge Polonis circuits with human genetic materials. Right, Dad? The old man didn't flinch. Let's not start another fight, said his mother. Ross stepped away from Wayne and ambled as if he were crossing an explorer spaceship quill bundle. His father's almost hidden profile was silhouetted against the adjacent brick building's facade. He spoke in a whisper and calm voice as Ross approached. We have uh, several options here, John. Are you aware of the individual we're dealing with here? Reports came in about this individual. We didn't know where he and uh, Tsiolkovsky. Very good. I haven't seen you for two and a half years, Dad. Don't start in with reports, said Ross as he hugged his father's solid body. Yes, that's true. He answered with a quick smile, and then he pulled Ross aside. Now you listen to me, John, and you listen closely. Several things are going on here that I haven't mentioned to the family. I knew that you'd show up here, only I didn't think it would be against your will. Ah, the old weakness. Never show weakness. Never be weak, said Ross, quoting his father. His father stared at him in complete control of his emotions. Then he continued, You have figured out that Saul's existence was due to a command intelligence project. Yeah, intelligentsia, the Pegasus Marischelli. Exactly, said his father. Intelligence was attempting to construct replicates for the Polonus subord systems. And success had been realized. We've been working with Cybax, and that will be a part of the ESS and other vessel crews. Cybax like Saul on my locust? Great. He fixed his eyes on Ross. No, not like Saul, but current versions have been successful. The machine out there is a modified version of the faculties on Pegasus Marischelli from 12 years ago. Silkowski panicked when Saul was slated for elimination. Saul was half man. He was just going to be eliminated? Real name, Philip O'Hara. Killed 14 people on Marischelli. Silkowski was the force behind his creation and his friend before the revacking. He felt responsible for revacking his old friend, even though O'Hara volunteered. Is this revacking the population here, the Elias Sec population, a direct result of intelligentsia? Individuals make decisions. Blame can't be placed on entire blocks of power. Oh, yes, individuals make decisions, but someone in intelligentsia approved the damn project. The old man didn't respond to that accusation. This individual escaped 12 years ago. Ah, great security. I got a mind. Let's try and keep our heads. We do have hope here. Yeah, how's that? Silkowski was brilliant, but quite an erratic and non-conformist type of individual. Silkowski is part of the team and directly responsible for the science that led to this chamber type. So much has changed since then. Yeah, and you seem to know all about this. Yes, the report was in general briefings, available even to ESS commanders. Do you have any indication that Cappy's ship would be tug-dragged? Not directly. Our reports only hinted of something happening out here. The enhanced tug-drag capacity was not reported even to us. 
DSS-27, the Steve Donaldson's lost ship, taken by Rafak and Jack Bragg. I'm aware of that. Ross pressed his lips. In other words, your intelligentsia has exposed us all of this monster because of some intelligentsia plan. The old man turned a second time. No. He looked out the window again. Sulov swarmed along the narrow streets building debris. Ross heard more distant rumbling. My second in command has been revacked. I'm not happy, Colonel. Not happy at all. Well, I'm sure he understood the risks. Shut up, said Ross, looking over at the rest of his family. You have about as much compassion as Saul. What the hell does he want with us anyways? Ships and drag beams to expand his little fiefdom? The old man seemed unaffected by Ross's insult. Correct. That's the problem. If he's in line with Rayfac and has revacking capacity, command has a severe security problem. The Sigma Terrace system would face his expansion plans. The base at Conchu. You should have killed Rayfac and Bragg when you had the chance. Well, hindsight is very easy, Dad. You weren't there. We were dealing with the Masavic people. And you probably have gathered that Silkowski is on this planet and fighting Saul. Contacting command with his confirmation is critical. Communication into space is possible with low-band transmitters on the planet or the vessels presently harbored on the landing ship. Command must be alerted to the danger here and take measures to destroy Saul and prepare to fight ESS-27. Yeah, in the meantime, everyone gets turned to stone inside that machine. He'd kill you and all of us if he knows we're attempting to alert command. Maybe. Ross shook his head, unsure whether his father had orchestrated all of this. How would Saul know an ESS commander and an intelligence officer were going to be on Earthstar? I don't have a theory on that. Oh, you don't. I say ESS-27 is lurking somewhere in this system. That would be my guess. Ross crossed the room back to his family. Wayne looked him in the eye. Well, you got him to talk. It's more than I did. What are we going to do, John? asked Deborah. I don't know, Shesh. He said, calling her by her childhood name because she looked more like a Cheshire cat when she was a young girl. He's no different than a waste sector rogue, said Cappy. I would think there'd be a way to negotiate with him. He's a cold-blooded killer, no emotions, said Wayne. Revacked human. Don't count on negotiating with him at all, said Ross, turning. His father continued to peer out the window. Mother, we'll get you out of this. Before she could answer, a shrill whistle cut the air. It was followed by a rocking explosion outside, sending everyone to the floor. What the hell is that? yelled Cappy as he rolled over. The old man was already at the window. A second thunder, farther away this time, brought Zulofs into the room. Where is Saul? asked Ross, now on his feet. You will come with us. With us you will come said one of them. They were ordered down an adjacent, darkened stairwell into the basement. Cold, outside air blew through the rotting pipes and chipped concrete. A small dented truck painted green with brown combat paint was parked at the bottom of a long ramp. The Zulofs shouted insults and prodded them back into the truck. Ross and Cappy helped the woman inside. Ross was squeezed between two Zulof and sweat accumulated on his brow but his father moved to the truck bed with a stunning, serene expression. On some level, Ross respected the coolness. The truck engine started and jolted away from the massive brick revac building as more bombs shook the ground. Every damn one of them, get them we will, 
yelled Saul as he slid open a panel to the forward cab. Attack us, they won't. Every last one kill I will. To a transmitter you will be brought. Your message out to galactic command. And come the vessels they will. We will crush them. Crush them, yes. He slammed the panel door. I'm not going to let them trap our vessels, said Ross in a low voice. The old man looked at Ross and spoke in a whispering, unwavering, confident voice. Silkowski is the key, John. Ross stroked his chin in the cold air. And Saul wants me to send that message to command? You can't send his type of message, he said, keeping his voice hushed. We need an emergency distress frequency. This should never have happened, said Ross as the truck veered to the left and continued up the hill. The petrified expression on his mother and Shesh's glassy eyes unnerved him. We have to go after these Zulofs now, said his father. Another blast sent the truck careening to the right, overturning like gravity-activated bowling pins in a rec room. Ross and his father kicked the Zulof weapons. The colonel's kick to the third Zulof's face sent the Cyvac back. Wayne punched the Zulof next to him as the old man unloaded the archaic weapons into the rest of the guards, killing them instantly. His father pointed the weapon toward the cab, but the truck shifted and he tumbled back. Ross jackknifed over the rear gate and both men ended up on the cold asphalt. The truck pulled away before the rest of his family could get out. He and the old man shot back at the rubber tires. Air whooshed from the rear tire, but the truck whipped down a side alley. Damn! Ross started back, but his father gripped his shoulder. They're still in the back of that truck! As more Zulov fired from the hill, the colonel pulled his son by the collar and then pushed him toward the side of the road. They ducked behind a building as Ross ranted. This is your damn fault. You brought us here. Let's get out of here now before he calls in additional support to find us. No, I can't leave them. John, said his father, holding his shoulders. These are the facts. We cannot extricate them. Saul and his Zulof hold them in the truck. I don't like it, he said, but it is reality. Martha is in there, Wayne, Cappy, and Deborah. We have to leave. We have no choice. How can you make such snap decisions? Reality is reality. Now or hours from now. Ah, so cool. And you have an alternative plan? If you do, let's hear it now before they track us down. I have no plan. Ross wanted to punch the old man as they darted across the alley and jaunted down a narrow passage between the brick buildings. He was amazed that his father, at age 62, could still keep up with him. More bombs exploded up the hill. A continuous cannonade commenced back to the revac building. Spent powder drifted through the frigid air as a huge granite-faced five-story building, less than a few hundred meters away, was torn apart by old-style chemical artillery shells. Chunks of the facade collapsed from the inner steel frame. He sprinted with his father as the debris crashed to the ground with enough force to knock them both to the cement. An avalanche of smoke and sand showered them, like an expanding nebula across space. They'll send in other troops and cordon off the area. His weakness is that he only thinks in one dimension, and he won't assume that we're coming back toward him. That's what we need to do. Then we have to get everyone out of that truck, Dad, said Ross. I've already lost my friend, my second-in-command. Treat this as a battlefield condition. Well, if you'll excuse me, I'll try to find my friend and get our family away from that mutant. Listen, if we can get them out, believe me, we will. Our mission is to get to that transmitter. Yeah, right. Get a distress signal out to command. Request two explorer spaceships and three smaller backups. Close off the sector up to the shipping lanes. 
This Cybeck needs to be stopped now. We need space frequencies, not this low-level planetary transmitters out here. We're just two men, Colonel. Then he, or more likely Rafek, will take Conchu. He gathers more and more ships and revacs in his race of subhumans to Sigma Antares and then on to Axie and Baroma and into the command sectors itself. Ross looked into the old man's blue eyes. The old man checked the alley around the corner. Saul's plans won't happen overnight, but he is a Cyvac. He has time. He doesn't age. And you held all this just to yourself. Typical. You're so typical. More bombs exploded across the city. The sun had dropped behind the long, dark mountains across the Silver Bay. Ross squinted and gripped his rifle. So where the hell do we go now? The airfield. I don't want to be forced inland. The craft you were in, Cappy's ship or my own ship, is capable of alerting command. And if we can't get to the airfield, then prepare for a long, cold journey. Chapter 11 The night was cold enough for them to gather clothing. The old man was reluctant to build a fire because of Saul's continuing search. With darkness, spotlights from the chugging military vehicles swept the skies, the alleys, and the potholed road. Ross found an open basement along the hills and hacked empty food cans stolen from an abandoned store. The stars, along with the planet's crisp, cyan-hued moon, cast an indirect green light across the basement rubble. He wondered about Lindy as he rested his head against the stone foundation, and he stared at the moon's distinct craters and shaded plains. In all his missions, he had never had such a personal stake. His effervescent second-in-command was now stripped of emotional content. Saul might have revacked his mother or siblings or had them killed. He held an image of Sheesh's rounded, freckled face in his thoughts as he finished a can of vegetables and threw it across the rubble. You were a hero in the war, said his father from the chunky stones ahead. Don't patronize me. Ross studied his pasty, green, moonlit face. What makes you say that right now? I never wanted uh, any of my children to be involved with command, but I couldn't stop you. Maybe that's what spurred me on, said Ross, smiling. His father's left brow moved upward, decorated on numerous occasions. Regency Ovation, 2051 GT. Meritorious Battle Star, 2051 GT. Solemn Order of Battle, same year. And Tenured Duty Status. That does not happen to everyone, John. Oh, he's so detailed. You remember the details as well as the Polonis. Maybe you've already been revacked. Remembering details sometimes means the difference between life and death. You are away so much. The time we're spending now, we haven't spent that much time together since you were injured. Recuperating on Alpha 7. I was eight years old. Yes. His father said, thinking... You had just been involved in the summer competition running and other field events. You won three levels of competition. I was very proud of you. Well, you never said it. In my line of work, you learned to conceal your emotions. Again, it can make the difference between life and death. Or between a feeling of loved and abandoned, said Ross as he stood. The old man said nothing for the next ten minutes, and then he turned unexpectedly. Tell me about the Marsaric people. Your name will be in the history cells because you were the first recorded human being to meet an independently evolved intelligent life form. 
Maybe as an intelligence officer, you can appreciate the fact that we placed our own emotions and expectations on the Marsavik people. The old man stroked his chin and nodded. But how would you have stopped the transposition? They didn't want us fighting with the Antarians, correct? Yeah, that's right. They had to do what they had to do, I guess. I respect that. <laughs> like all intelligentsia operatives constantly doing what they have to do, said Ross. If you are referring to our present predicament, I had planned to travel outside the transposition area, but my flight was delayed for maintenance problems, or I'd be operating in the parceled area. Well, that's interesting. I've been through too much in the Antarian War to die out here for the likes of Saul. It may be more than Saul. Don't start talking about how I didn't kill Raffick and Bragg. The old man pursed his lips and looked across the moon-painted rolling hills. Let's head out. We have the night. Get away from the city and attempt to find Selkowski, or whomever started that rocket attack this afternoon. Oh, and what about the family? That is not a practical plan, replied the old man. Practical? I don't, I don't give a damn about practicality. Maybe we can save them from being revacked. The old man shook his head and stood. Won't happen. He's on guard now, and he has the Zulaf looking for us. Maybe when things settle down. Our plan must involve linking with Silkowski and the resistance. Ross followed the old man up the basement rocks and climbed onto the ruins, highly fluorescent green against the night sky. He was more galled that his father had properly assessed the situation. Both men drifted into the empty street, but hovered near the buildings to avoid the ever-present truck patrols and spotlights. Ross put his hands on his hips. Ahead, a vehicle's tiny lights rolled with the hills into the darkened landscape. He worried about his mother and siblings. With his father by his side and his ship far away, he now faced the wrath of the planet's demented military commander and a possible dreadful link to the Antarian. Chapter 12 the frozen sun rays pierced Saul City's battered landscape like orange dracs fired from an unknown source at the horizon. Huddled on the roof of a multi-storied building, Ross had snapped out of sleep when gasoline engines roared through the adjacent streets. He opened his crusty eyes, having fallen asleep a few hours before. His foggy breath temporarily obscured the pink cove along the mountains. The ocean was silver green. The brick revac plant, several kilometers distance, overlooked Saul City on a tapering slope not too far from the sea. Tanks, armored vehicles, and the Zulof appeared along the ridge road. Old-style airplanes buzzed the cold morning air over the heartland as deployed sculptured white parachutes dotted the pastel green sky. Complete enclosure, said the old man from behind. He thinks he can ring us in. We must represent a valuable booty. That tells me he's under orders from Rafek, said Ross, turning. His father, sprouting a full day's wishes growth, stood with his hands in his pockets. Hope he hasn't harmed the family. Damn him! We have to go back. We can't go back. You're so cold-hearted. The old man stared but didn't flinch. I wish we had mags up here. Ross watched the Zuloff build up along the ridge. Buildings ripped apart by past explosions formed a jagged edge to the sky. I'd say this city has more than a million people. True. Now they're Revac Zulaf or dead. 
He pressed his lips and nodded. Yet Silkowski's resistance is able to launch rockets at will into the main city. Saul has the numbers and the power. The sun split the ocean horizon clouds and shone across the cove onto the surrounding snow-sprinkled mountains, merging with the slopes inland. Ross raised his hands above his eyes and scanned the ground for an antenna capable of space transmission. No antenna, nothing. He's just devastated the area. Even if we had a low-level frequency, just getting it out there with minimal power could alert command as to what's going on here. I couldn't send anything out on my ship. He's compressed the frequency. Ross slowly shook his head. That's what they did to the hotel ship. I can't believe Silkowski and this half-human escaped. They did. <laughs> you knew about that, too. And I think you knew about this planet. And ESS-27, Bragg, and Rafik. The old man still showed no emotion. Finding a transmission antenna is our top priority. All vessels must be alerted about Scabia Tangle. Yes, I was the one who decided about this mission. Oh, really? And you just decided? Don't you report to anybody? That is classified, son. Classified? A cover for mistakes. From Pegasus Marichelli right down to this fiasco. He turned toward Ross. His beard stubble was silver as he squinted. Use your head, John. Saul used an enhanced tug-drag beam. You know what that suggests. The Aria. <laughs> Blame back to me again. Ross grit his teeth and moved closer. You know, that's the fallacy of the intelligence service. Withholding vital information all in the name of your superior knowledge. He exhaled a steamy, smoky trail. Deceive command because you know better. Deceive your own family because you know better. I'm going to get back there and get them out. The colonel's face was rigid and he licked his lips quickly before he spoke. My mission was supposed to begin after the reunion on Earth Star. Oh, is that your latest story? You'll have to forgive me if I just don't believe a damn word you say. Your prerogative. Ross clenched his fist. I just hope Command comes up with an idea for dealing with this after they have all the facts. Without a booted signal, Command won't know about this for weeks. He looked back to the city. Look at the troops he's massing. They're going to search every square centimeter of this place. Let's go, said the old man. Ross peered into his gray eyes. This is the most time we've spent together in 20 years. The old man's head snapped to the right. One of the green and brown trucks, stuffed with at least a dozen Zuloff, rounded the corner just a few blocks away. Holding the rifle, Ross followed his father up to a rooftop stairwell as the loud gasoline engine reverberated between the buildings. The weapons were primitive, but lead pellets fired from a sodium nitrate explosion were just as deadly as a drag beam. From the first floor doorway, Ross saw Zuloff in the passing truck bed. Their faces, as with Lindy yesterday, were expressionless. These individuals were once human beings with goals and aspirations. Maybe they were city dwellers or Elias sect people, once content living with peace and now were pawns. For Saul. The truck brake squeaked, and less than 50 meters away, the Zuloff fanned across the asphalt road. With their weapons raised, they began a search of each house, each building, and every possible hiding place. A second, larger truck came to a stop at the opposite end of the street. More Zuloff were unloaded, and Ross's stomach churned when he heard the combined clicking boots on the cold tar. He trailed his father into the back alleyway. 
The old man held his rifle out and checked around the building before motioning Ross into the next side street. The open square up ahead was surrounded by collapsed buildings and other facades were chipped and gouged. Ross gripped the rifle and expected the Zuloff to storm around the corner. He followed the old man to a bombarded cafe and slid back the smashed glass door. They crossed the creaky floorboards of a dank, dimly lit dining room. In the cabinets above the counters, Ross spotted a cache of canned food. Both men bashed the open cans with steel counter knives. For ten minutes, they scooped out beans, corn, and hash and stuffed their bellies. Just a thought, but the Zuloff will be all over this place very shortly. The old man ate a peach off the blade. Screw them. Oh, brave talk. Let's take some of these cans, and then we'll hightail it south until we have a 337S. 337S? Slang for the time period for official communiques in my realm of the galaxy. The 337S is slight, but we can skirt the Zuloff by coming in by air and the approaching columns from the main city and hopefully locate Sokoski. Oh, you're always so confident. You and your intelligentsia are gibberish. Ross's eyes flipped open as the old man whipped the steel blade knife through the air. An armed Zuloff at the doorway collapsed in a spray of blood. His father raised his left brow. If you're not confident, you're dead. Ross stuffed more food cans in his pockets and was about to head back outside when the front door slid open. He heard Zuloff searching the outer cafe. Ross picked up his rifle and both men ducked behind the kitchen door. The Zuloff randomly knocked over the table and chairs in the outer room and mumbled as they retreated back into the square. The directive, revac and implement. Ross peered around the door. The old man pushed his teeth together as if he were processing information. Then he stepped from the kitchen. As they approached the cafe's front door, two Cybacks burst through the front door and thrust their rifles. Your weapons you will drop. Revac and implement. Directive is complete. Void the truck you will. And if we don't? asked Ross. Clear. The directive is. Five seconds you have. Both men threw down the guns. The others call. Now we will, said the older Zulab. Revac and implement. As the Zulov turned, the old man leaped into the air with his foot almost parallel to the ground. He kicked the Zulov across the chin, and then he used his fist to smash the Cybak's face. But the second Zulov raced back inside. Ross executed swift kicks in a pummeling punch barrage until both Zulov were sprawled unconscious on the floor. The old man tilted his head. Interesting. Confidence is a family trait. Get their clothes and helmets. Ross jogged next to his father, past the park truck, and veered down another narrow street. The loose-fitting uniforms provided an easy escape into the alley, but the Zulofs were constantly shouting orders in the surrounding streets. Revac and implement, said Ross, staring into his own reflection in the old man's shielded helmet visor. He alternated glances between the yellow sun insignia and the transparency. Don't you ever express emotion? Not a good idea. Just how are we supposed to get out of here? Is this how you lead your ship? Why don't you go to hell? The old man raised his brow and Ross detected a slight grin. He turned on the pavement and without another word, penetrated another alley maze. 
Ross worried about the prior lack of communication between intelligentsia and command, but he was more concerned about his family. Frustration fueled his desire to head back into the city and get his family. Yet what really irked him was the old man's correct assessment about heading into the heartland. Ross slowly shook his head as he ran and fully appreciated the fact that the colonel was the best at what he did. Chapter 13 Move out. Move out, we will. In the open jeep, Saul canvassed the upper city streets and constantly yelled into his transmitter. His hatred of Ross and his intelligentsia father made him wild, but Rafak would not kill him until Ross or the father had transmitted the crafted message to Galactic Command. It was the only way to lure Ross's explorer spaceship to Scavia Tangle. The liar. Brag, where is he? Shot, he should be with Ross and his father, a slow death for Brack. Saul nodded as the jeep rumbled by Zulov searching the buildings. Conquer other world, Rafax one ship cannot do. Lieutenant Ramos. He barked into his transmitter. B Sector Square. Answered the Zulov on the radio. Saul ordered the driver to B Sector. Ramos would die as a demonstration to make the rest of the Cybax and even the Antarian understand the importance of power. He puffed the cigar and removed his sidearm as the jeep whipped through the streets. The vehicle skidded into the small square. Saul leaped onto the cracked concrete. He paralleled several destroyed buildings and marched toward the dark-haired Ramos in his cadre. Saul, said Ramos as he turned. His helmet rested on a brick wall. Please, I am not. Here they were. Killed two Zulas, they did, he said, pointing to a small building across the square. Ross and his father, he shouted loudly. Found them, we have not. In this area they may be. Searching my Zulaf, we are. Saul looked over toward the assembled Zulaf. A disgusting mass of flesh you are, he said, taking out his weapon. But he quickly put it back in his shoulder strap, and he returned to the jeep. Oh, you to me, listen. Inside a small compartment was an old wooden chest with a combination lock on the outside. For a few seconds he worked the lock, popped it, and the chest creaked open. Inside were the Galactic Command hand weapons confiscated from Commander Ross and his father. Here, the answers we have. Power weapons from the Galactic Travelers we have. Then he stood in the rear of the jeep. He aimed the hand-fitting weapon at Ramos. Ramos's dark eyes opened wide. Saul squeezed and fired a blue beam, ripping through the Cybax abdomen. Bright sparks mixed with a blood spray as Ramos collapsed. Saul again squeezed a scalped weapon and sawed Ramos's skull as if he were slashing with a sharp blade. The blood rivulets flowed into the concrete crevices. Saul checked the weapon setting and turned up the intensity. He again fired a wide and strong blue beam. A brief puff vaporized Ramos and left a scorched section of concrete behind. The other Zulov instinctively stepped back. Those whom my directives do not follow, this will be the fate of them. His rage at Ross had grown. He sensed Rafak always wanted a confrontation, but he believed Ross did not deserve life. If there was some way to kill him and send the message, he would do it. If you're thinking I copied the voice patterns from Yoda in Star Wars, you have it wrong. I came up with this strange verbal nonsense myself. 
It solves one-dimensional thinking as a cyback that truly puts everyone in danger to the possibility of becoming a cyback. Next time, Ross and his father link up with a legendary hero. And what else influenced portions of this book? I'm Robert P. Fitton, listening to too many plays of Neil Young's After the Gold Rush. Next week, I will be back. Be back in All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.